Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to be able to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message from God inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's dive right in. But before we get started, I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. I want to welcome everybody who's tuned in to our brand new podcast that just launched our YouTube page, or if you're just streaming live on Facebook today, here in the house in Hendersonville, Tennessee, can we give a hand for everything that God is doing in this area? So if you were here last week, we talked about death by sea. We talked about when Paul was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. If you missed that, go back and watch it. It's at least a B plus. But here's why I'm excited, because I told a story about my brother being scared to death of Jumanji when we were kids, and still even as a 30-year-old adult, he, he is. And he's here in the house today. My brother, please stand up. This is my best friend, Cody. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see he's very famous on my stories. Uh, most famous guy on Instagram who's not actually on Instagram. So I'm excited. My brother's here. I got a few other friends in the house today, but I won't embarrass you. Today's message is called Death in the Pot. So we're going to be talking about the story of Elisha. Now, uh, let me give you a little bit of background here. So Elisha was the protege of the prophet Elijah. And Elijah goes up into heaven. Before he leaves, he asks Elisha, what can I do for you? Elisha asks, may I have a double portion of your spirit, basically saying, can I have double the blessing? Ironically enough, we actually have double the amount of miracles recorded in scripture of Elisha than we do Elijah. But, but with Elisha, there's these weird things throughout his story. So it's, it's mostly in 2 Kings. And, and if you read through that, and I encourage you to do it, there's like these little pieces in the Bible that like we just kind of read over or we don't even know are there. And there's some peculiar things. Like there's a story, and, and maybe one day I'll do a sermon on this, of um, some teenagers that are making fun of Elisha for being bald-headed. And he calls for the bears to come down and maul these teenagers. And then it just ends. Like we have no idea why that's in scripture. And all the bald men in the house said, Amen. And this is another story that about four months ago, I just was kind of reading through and it was almost like this, this, the words were illuminated. And I got so excited, I wrote a sermon. I run immediately to my grandma's house. She's also here today. And I told her, and I basically preached it for her. Um, and she's got a couple of these little ceramic angels sitting on her piano. And by a couple, I mean like dozens and dozens and dozens. And my sermon was so good, three of them got saved. But, but, I, told, <laughs> but I told her this story, and like a true grandma, she said, I think you're onto something, but I don't think it's quite ready yet. And so I thought to myself, this thing needs to just marinate a little bit like a good stew. And so that's what we're talking about. Let's pick up in the scripture. We're going to dissect it today. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. Verse 38, Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the region. While the company of prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up in the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, man of God, there is death in the pot. 
and they could not eat it. That's kind of a weird story to have in scripture because like it wraps up and we're going to get to that in a minute, but then we just move on and there's really no explanation for it. Death in the pot. So, so Elisha at this time, he, he teaches at a school, but he's also got some prophets. So now he has his protégés and they're essentially nomadic, which is a really fancy word for, they just kind of move around from place to place, which is really co- popular in, in Bible times. Like that's kind of how Jesus lived too. And so I'm thankful that I wasn't around during Bible times because you had sandals. So your feet were always dirty, which, which is, does not sound appealing. And I really hate camping. So I would really hate having to be nomadic. I don't understand people that like camping. Like and this is not in the notes, this is just free for you. I have a job so that I don't have to go live in the woods. But some people pay a ton of money to go live in the woods as if they don't have a job. I just don't get it. You know what the worst part about the outdoors is? I'm talking to you, Keith. You know the worst part about the outdoors? The worst part of the outdoors is that it's outdoors. Let's move on. Don't mic him up. So... We have this soup that's boiling and they eat it. And then all of a sudden they start worrying about like, there's death in the pot, guys. Like we're, we're all in trouble. And so what we see in scripture is we see that a prophet goes out and collects something. Scripture says a gourd. If you do some historical research, you'll see in that area, there was kind of this wild cucumber and there's this really fancy name for it and I can pretend to pronounce it the correct way and you can pretend as if you would remember it, but let's just skip that. It was essentially a wild gourd and he cut this up and he put it in the stew. Keep in mind they're in the middle of a famine, so it's slim pickings when it comes to what they're going to cook. This ain't like a chicken pot pie. And so they're eating this and there's a bitter taste to it. Now, I, I, I want you to hear what actual like science journals say would happen as they ate this stew. It sounds wonderful. It says that ingestion may cause irritation of the mucous membranes and the gastrointestinal tract, often causing bloody diarrhea and eventual kidney damage. So you can see why these guys are freaking out because there's no Pepto-Bismol, there's no walk-in clinic. You're out in the middle of nowhere, you start having bloody diarrhea and it's gonna get nasty in a hurry. And, and so they're worried. Why is this in the Bible, man? It's so weird. Have you ever eaten something? Don't worry, I'm gonna answer that before we leave. Like, what if I just ended my message that way? Like, why is that in the Bible? I don't know, you go find out, pass the offering plate, let's get to lunch early. No, I'm not gonna tell you, but have you ever eaten something and like, you know it's probably not good for you, but it tastes so good, you just keep eating it? Like essentially hot dogs, like cheap ones, like the 98 cents for a pack of six at the Walls Mart. Like, you know, bro, that ain't good for you. Right? Let me tell you a story. If, as long as you promise, you won't, you won't judge me. You promise? I don't believe any of you. But, but if you don't judge me, I'll show you something. So, so I'll tell you something. So I was in Mexico when I was a kid, and those are always weird ways to start stories. And, and so there's, in Mexico, at least in Baja, California, where I was, like, there's a spot that tourists are supposed to go to. And it's totally safe. You get drinks and coconuts with little umbrellas and everybody's like singing mariachi music. But as soon as you step out of the parameters of where you're supposed to be, you get a whole different experience. And this isn't a message that's bad against Mexico. That's true of most major cities. And I went out of the area that I was supposed to go to and I was famished, y'all. I was hungry, I was hangry, I was ready to eat and I see this taco stand. Oh no. 
And so I go straight to the taco stand, give them money. I am floored at how cheap these tacos are. Now in my mind, I'm not thinking the cheaper the tacos, the less quality of the meat. And then and, and I start eating these tacos and they were really good. And we go back to the translator and I'm telling him about this taco stand and ask if he's ever eaten there. And he's like, oh, Jason. Oh, Jason, you should never eat there. So why? That's the part where you can't judge me. He said, he said, do you see all these wild dogs running around? I said, yes. How was your taco? I ate a dog taco. Two days later, I'm in the same town, and I am so hungry. And those tacos tasted pretty good. Jason, so disappointed in me. I heard that my whole life. My mom's here too. Okay, so I went back and ate more of the tacos because they were so good, even though I knew this time they were dog tacos, all right? There was death in the pot. And I would like to tell you that later on, like I got really sick, but I didn't. I felt great, but I did feel a little guilty. Now, now why is this in the Bible? Here is the secret. If you read the Old Testament by itself in small little chunks, you are not actually doing justice to the word of God. You see, when God was orchestrating this, he was making a tapestry. He was telling a complete story. And this is what's dangerous. When we go to the Bible and we chop up tiny little sections, this is how cults are started. We have to look at it from Genesis to Revelation as God is narrating the story in which he is the main character. Not we, but he. And that's what we have to do. So you cannot properly understand the Old Testament until you properly understand Jesus. Jesus is the center point. See what I did there? Okay. Jesus is the focal point. Jesus is the reason that we have this. Jesus changes everything. So the Old Testament is there to create echoes. Echoes throughout scripture or types and shadows that are pointing to why we needed Jesus, why Jesus changed it all, how he met or exceeded everything that we needed. The Old Testament, the law, it's all there to prove that humans cannot do it on their own. It is impossible to be perfect enough to be in the presence of a holy God, which is why we need it redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Is there anyone in the house that's excited that Jesus came and redeemed us? Then act like it. Come on. I know you didn't get to cheer very much yesterday during the Tennessee-Alabama game, so save all your cheering for right now. Too soon? Too soon for me, too. So let's find out what happens. What if they just all died right there and we moved on? What if it just ended? That would be a terrible story, but, but it doesn't. Verse 41. Elisha says, get some flour, and he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So he added flour to the stew, and it no longer brought death. Stay with me. This is going to be important. 
I think that we can apply this in two different ways. The, the first way I think we can apply this is, you'll notice, and this is gonna be important, he wasn't trying to take the things out of the stew that would kill you. He added flour, he added something pure, and it changed the entire substance. The second thing that I, I think you need to understand on here is that what he added took the ingredients that would cause death and brought nutrition, brought sustenance. Why is this important? What does this have to do with Jesus? We're gonna get there, but before we do, I have to pay homage to my fifth grade science teacher, Bill Nye, the science guy. I, I, I wanna show you something. And, and listen, you and I as adults, we, we overcomplicate Christianity. Make sure you understand that. Like, you want to know what the purest form of Christianity is? Go back to children's church and watch. Like, if your kid gets, gets grounded yesterday for doing something terrible, they don't prevent it from them worshiping God on Sunday morning. It's kind of like they don't put the two together. Like, I, I acted terrible, so God must not want me to sing to him. And, and I, I, I made this mistake, and so I'm not going to pray to God because he's so disappointed in me. Like, these are adult characteristics, and we overcomplicate Christianity, and we insert terrible theology all the time. So we're going to take this back to the basics of a Bill Nye the Science Guy experiment, and here's what I think is important. Okay, so this is just water. And one of them is bleach. I actually don't know which one's which, so I'm gonna drink one right now and we will find out which one is which. Nope, that's, uh, that's definitely bleach. So, food coloring, a straw, and one of those like bendy straws. Okay, so the water represents you and I. Okay, and you're like, golly, Jason, you went to seminary to have this type of a, of a sermon prop? Yes, yes, it's simple. All right, look. <clears throat> This is us. Why does the devil want us to get us to sin? Bad theology says the devil wants to get us to sin so that we will no longer be saved. But that just is incorrect theology because the counter of that is, is that when you didn't sin, you became saved, which we all would agree is incorrect. So why does the devil care about getting Christians, believers, brothers and sisters, saints to sin? Like you would think the moment at salvation, he'd be like, well, lost that one. Let's move on to somebody else. Why? Here's why. Because the devil knows that if he can get you to sin, what happens is it infects everything about you. Like there's no such thing as just sinning in a vacuum. And so the devil doesn't win when he gets you to sin. The devil wins when he harms your relationship with God. And here's what he does. We'll insert things in your life that will eventually cause death. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. You can make one quick decision to mess your whole life up. But most of the time, that's not how sin works. It's little things. It's the little seeds that grow roots in there. It's a little bit of impurity and it starts with what you watch with your eyes or what you hear with your ears or the company that you keep and that little impurity will grow and grow and next thing you know you have a secret addiction that you don't want anybody to know about. It's the little things like a little bit of painkillers just to take the edge off and then next thing you know it grows and it grows and it permeates throughout. Now I heard a guy one time and I'm not saying this because it's super inappropriate but he said this. He said one turd in the punch bowl ruins the party. <laughs> it's so inappropriate. I'm not saying it but he did and so, and so I want you to hear that. 
And, uh, and he was talking about a, a middle school dance when, when I was the chaperone for it, which is a whole other funny story. But, but essentially, it's the same idea, is that just a little bit will permeate throughout who you are. This is why the devil wants to get you to sin, because he knows it will affect everything. It affects your relationship. It affects your ministry. It affects your effectiveness. And what it will eventually get you to do is stop worshiping God. What it will eventually get you to do is it will make you convinced that God doesn't want to talk to you anymore. That God is so disappointed that you just cannot get over this. That you stop. That you give up. And guess what? You become ineffective for the kingdom of heaven. It's like spiritual quicksand. But but we're going to get into a New Testament echo of this story. And as we're doing that, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this simple science experiment. This is a human life that has sin just kind of all permeated throughout it. This is bleach. And this is what we have to understand that God can do. We have to understand the power of what Jesus already did. The sins that you're going to commit next week, the price has already been paid. Can I get an amen? Amen. The world needs to hear this message. Because the world thinks in here it's full of just perfect people that, that judge sinners. Well, if that's the case, we got a PR problem. So, according to Bill Nye, the science guy, if I, don't worry, it's going to work. It's got bleach in it, though, and I don't want to get it on this fabulous jacket. Or this fabulous carpet. It looks like Blockbuster. So, I know what you're thinking right now. Dude, this ain't gonna work. He's gonna look stupid. Uh oh. He's gonna look stupid in front of everybody. That part might be true, but I want you to just watch this. And as I'm talking, just pay attention to what happens. This is this is what God does. Now let's move on. We'll get to it. Let's move on to the echo in the New Testament of this story. And it's a story that if you grew up in church, you're very familiar with. Is it working? I'm not looking. Is it working? <laughs> Is it working? Shake your head yes or no. It is? Well, there's some mixed reactions. I'm not going to look because I'm like the, the good guy in a movie where the building explodes behind him and he doesn't turn around to look. He just keeps walking. That's what I'm going to do. I have so much confidence. Shake your head yes or no if it's working. <laughs> yeah, my mom says yes. All right. This is Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. You've probably heard this story. You're probably relatively familiar with it. But now I want you to look at it as an echo of the death in the pot. I want you to look at the things in the world that she thought would fulfill her, that she thought would complete her, that she thought that she needed, and how Jesus dealt with the situation because Jesus is going to take it to the next level, but it's a type and a shadow. It's an echo of Elisha and the death in the pot. We're in John chapter four, but before we can get to that, you need to understand why it's important that Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman. It's interesting because before he gets there, he sends the disciples off to go get food. I'm going to imagine it's so that Peter doesn't get in the way because Peter is gonna tell her, you should not be speaking to a Samaritan woman. Why? They would go all the way around Samaria. Your Samarians were half Potter fans. They're like mudbloods. Like everybody looked down on them because they were intermarried. They had their own temple, their own Torah, their own set of laws. They were just separated. So the simple fact that Jesus would talk to a Samaritan, let alone bring them through Samaria, let alone it be a Samaritan woman, had all kinds of political ramifications. 
The, the government would say you can't do that. Society would say you can't talk to that person. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. Every person is worth my time. Jesus is the focal point, but I want you to hear this woman and her story and what she does with it. We're in John chapter four, verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She has the same mindset that a lot of people do when we invite them to church or we invite them to something. They're like, you guys don't want me there. Trust me. Trust me. Do you know? Listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm divorced. I don't belong at church. So that's, that's not what Jesus would, would say. And, 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 and if I can be honest for a moment, Jesus took time. He only had three years of public ministry on earth. And he took time out of his day to spend time with one woman that the world had discarded. Will I do the same? Will I? Will you? What if the whole reason you're here on earth is for one person that you will affect and change their life for eternity? Is that enough for you? Because it was enough for Jesus. Please wake up. Clap. That's good. Come on. Thank you. What you're going to find out through this conversation with Jesus and her is that she's on her fifth husband. And the dude she's with right now, she's shacking up with. They're not married. And she comes to the well at noon. She's the hottest time of the day. Nobody does that. That's why she's there. Because no one else is there. Shame, condemnation, so being socially ostracized. That Jesus comes out of his way to speak to her. And I want you to hear the algorithm of the salvation process. I want you to hear this. This is from Jesus. We need to learn from this. I can't tell you yet. All right, let's let the Bible talk. Verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water, that, then they will never thirst, this water. Indeed, the water I give them will be in the spring of the water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will never thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, she thinks that he's gonna give her something physical but he's not gonna give her something physical. She has all she needs right there in front of her, but she's thinking on the surface level. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is the kind of rhetoric that got Jesus killed. This is no simple statement. He is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you have been waiting for. I am the one that 400 years of silence as you're waiting, here I am. I am the one that John the Baptist is talking about. I am he. He's, I'm right here in front of you, the answer to everything you need, and you don't have eyes to see it. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and surprised to find him talking with a woman. What on earth are you talking to a woman for? They're less than, especially a Samaritan woman. Oh, Jesus, listen, I don't care what people say. Jesus was the great liberator of women. Jesus was the one that, that, that broke all of the political structure and elevated women. Remember that. 
Even women that the world said were too broke to be used for his kingdom. Verse 27. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because by then they're smart enough to know we're not going to question Jesus. We're just going to think it in our mind. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who has told me everything I ever did Could this be the Messiah? Two things happen right here. I need you to underline this, write it, remember it. She left her jar after an interaction with Jesus. She left her way of life. She left the things that used to be important to her. And now all of a sudden, because she had interacted with the Messiah, she took off to go tell everybody. We've talked about this over and over and over again. The longer you walk with Jesus traditionally, the less people you tell about it. But at the moment of her interaction, she left everything that was important, forgot why she was there, and said, I know the secret to salvation. I need to tell everybody in my town. And yet we often don't even know our neighbors next door. What do you think Jesus saved you for? If he saved you and that was it, you would have immediately just flown up to heaven. But you're still here. Why? We need to tell every single person that we are interacted with, interact with, that we are involved with what God has done for us. And then the other cool part is this. Scripture then tells us that the woman went back to her town and it says that many in the town believed because of her testimony. Not because of her Bible knowledge, not because she'd been to seminary, not because she could read Hebrew. They came to salvation because of her testimony. The most powerful witnessing tool you have is your story of what God has done for you to redeem you. So this is the spot where I'm gonna turn around cross my fingers. This is why Jesus came. I want you to hear this. Jesus did not come for behavior modification. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus did not die on the cross for your sins. Oh, did you hear that? Sounds like heresy. He did not die on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for you. To make that possible, he became sin so that we could be made righteous. Here's the algorithm. Are you ready? Jesus did not say, start following me once you get all that bad stuff out of your life. He didn't say, start serving, start telling people once you're perfect. That's what we think. Oh, we think God doesn't want to use me because I have this, 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 and this in my past and in my present. You will not find that. No, I'm not minimizing sin, but I'm saying that's not the algorithm that Jesus had. Jesus simply went to the disciples and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus did not say, you can come follow me once you stop doing this. You can come follow me once you erase this off of your record. He said, follow me. I want you to hear this. No one had to tell me to stop sinning when Jesus got a hold of my heart. We elevate sin over the Savior. 
and we allow it to get in the way. This is the algorithm. Rather than trying to take the poisonous things out of the stew that would kill you, you add what Jesus did. Final thing. You'll notice on here, it slowly over time went back to where it was. We need to understand this because you know how many people have been baptized three, four, five times and they say, I've come out of the water and I didn't feel any different. Or I said a prayer or I raised my hand to the preacher and I walked out just the same person. I believe one interaction with Jesus can change everything. But, but, but if you don't experience that, this is what happens. It's slowly over time, you start to lose the taste for the things you once had a taste for. You start to lose the bad habits that were a part of your life for so long. And what eventually happens is next thing you know, you're like, man, I'm not perfect, but I've come a long way. But men, I'm going to talk to you just for a moment, unapologetically. Oftentimes, we are hesitant to be the biblical leaders of our household that God intends for you to be because... We're not willing to trust the process of slowly being changed over time. And we're afraid that we're gonna mess up and someone's gonna call us out on it and it's gonna be embarrassing or we're gonna look like a fraud. But that's not the way it works. If you're a family in here, this is what your wife wants. She wants you to not be perfect, but she wants you to practice perfection. Statistics say that if you can save the man of the household the likelihood of the rest of the family being saved is almost 90%. Men, we got some work to do. If it's the mother, 45%. If it's the kids, believe it or not, 30%. Not bad. Not bad. Why? Because the kids want to come to church. And if your kids are dying to be here, you'll go. Trust me, I just came back from Disney World. It was terrible. Ninety <laughs> percent, men. Who are your coworkers? Who are the people you interact with? Your story can save a family for generations. You're in your place of work, not just to make a paycheck. You're in your place of work to be a witness. The world's going to tell you that you can't follow God if you're blank. There's death in the stew, death in the pot. We need to tell them to add Jesus. Would you stand with me? Here's the reason Jesus came. Are you ready? I told you it was not to make bad people good. It was not for behavior modification. It wasn't even to fix your situation that you're in right now. The reason Jesus came is to show that things that were dead can become alive again. Things that were destined for death can not only be made whole, they can now bring nourishment to the group of people they're around. That is why Jesus came. That stew that was bringing death to them all added the flour, and it didn't just bring nourishment to Elisha. The whole prophets, the whole group of prophets 
receive nourishment from it. Now they go out and do ministry. It's a ripple effect. That is why Jesus came, to show that dead things can come alive again. Look all throughout Scripture. That's the narrative they're trying to weave. God's trying to weave is why we needed Jesus. And now what do we do that we have? We got a world to win. And he needs men and women like us. Men and women like us. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, th I thank you that you set the example for you so loved the world that you gave. And then the verse after that says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I thank you, Lord, that you take pride in using broken people that the world has discarded, that the world has said is useless, that the world has said doesn't fit anywhere, that they are too broke to be used, too damaged to be valuable. And those are the people, God, that you often seek out, redeem, restore, and use for the purposes of your kingdom. And in this room, there is, it is full of broken people. And those are the people that you use, God. I thank you, Lord, that you never stopped pursuing us, that you were always the pursuer. You were always the initiator. And I pray that now you'll help recalibrate our, our words, our thoughts, our actions, recalibrate our purpose with your purpose, God. And your purpose is people, Lord. So I pray that your word today will permeate throughout us, much like a stew. I pray that we'll be reminded of this throughout the week, Lord. I thank you for the word of God, your holy word, that can speak to us in whatever situation we're in. Before you open your eyes, I just want to tell you, if, if you are online and God spoke to you today and there's any sort of decision made, any kind of prayer request, any need you have, you can direct message us. You can go to our website and click contact us. If you're in the room, again, don't, our eyes are still closed. If there's any decision that you need to make today, that's between you and God. I can help you. I can guide you. But I'm not Jesus. So fill that card out today. Leave it on your seat. Drop it off at Welcome Central. And I will contact you personally. And together we can walk through this. We can grow together. Lord, I just pray that as every person, as we're getting ready to leave God, I'm going to boldly ask that you cross their path with someone who's hurting, someone who's hopeless, someone to in a spot where they need to hear about Jesus. I boldly declare that. I declare if it's at a restaurant today, God, I ask that you do that. If it's at their job tomorrow morning, if it's someone posting on social media, they're going through a hard time. And I pray that we will have the eyes to see and that we will have the heart to reach out to these people, God, that we will be inconvenienced I pray for each and every situation in this room, God. I love you. I praise you, and I will do anything for you. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If this message inspired you in any way, we would love to hear your story. If you made a decision of any kind, we want to hear that as well. Please reach out to us on any of our platforms, at CenterPointTN, or you can go to CenterPointTN.com and click on Contact Us. We would love to partner with you. We would love to pray for you. And we want to hear more about you and your story and what God is doing in your life. 
If there's any way that you want to financially partner with us, you can do that as well at centerpointtn.com. Click on the Give button. We're excited to be going through this journey together and excited about what God is doing in your life.